Welcome to the Freudcast. I'm Matt Barbet. Who are you and what do you do? It's a pretty simple question and one many of us are asked a lot, but how much thought and maybe even anxiety is behind the answer? Melissa Hemsley is best known along with her sister Jasmine for writing about food. Her latest book, Eat Green, has also done really well, but it turns out that the recipe behind Melissa's success has featured a significant measure of mental health issues, including grief and imposter syndrome. Now her journey from being a chef to an author and social media influencer has taken Melissa in another interesting and more campaigning direction. I began by asking her if this was all part of some grand plan. Well, good question, especially because I'm a recovering perfectionist and recovering control freak. I've really learned that um, I definitely had this grand master plan when I was younger. I wanted to be a doctor. That didn't go to plan um, and has led me here where I feel in one small way that I'm uh, not comparing myself to a doctor, obviously, but you know, I am in a position where I love what I do because I work with people um, and I help support people and in turn feel that same support back. And um, I don't want to get too, well, actually, I was about to apologize and say, I don't want to get too cheesy and or too hippie, but I'm going to go for it, Matt. I, I feel that I'm in a position where I help nourish people or I work with food and feed people and that nourishes. And in return, I think that nourishes back. So on a sort of 360 level, I believe that I love my job if I stop to think about it. Because often, until someone like you says to me, tell me about yourself, and you have that awkward moment where, you know, you go, oh, gosh, I'm going to talk about myself now. But, you know, until you ask me this question, I'm not really thinking about it. But if I stop and think about the plan and where I am now, I think I love my job because it, it feeds me on that level. But my grand plan, yeah, was to be a doctor. My mum's Filipino. My dad's in the army. Um there's just my sister and I, Jasmine, and they would have been very happy for one of us to be a doctor. If they got two doctors, great. Uh, none of, neither of us are a doctor, but I loved science and it was something that I knew from an early age would make them happy. So I threw myself into it. And then, long story short, I believe now when I look back on it, because I've gone and done this amazing um, course, this, re- this therapy course called The Bridge Retreat, Uh, which I'll probably bring up a couple of times because it's been really life-affirming for me. I believe that when I was about 17, 18, I had a a major health crisis, a mental health crisis. Um, Not not significant enough that I, I dropped out of school or anything like that, but I think it was a huge confidence crisis. And I feel now that uh, when I cook with late teens, I feel that it is a very pivotal moment in your life that you're not always given the tools to equip yourself with. You're given GCSEs and A-levels and all that kind of support, maybe a little bit of guidance counseling or careers advice, but not much else. And I really realize now that that's when it all changed for me. Sorry, very long answer. It's a good answer, though, and there's one there's one bit in particular I want to pick up on. I think what you said there about not really thinking about what you do until you end up talking about it and then you realise how much you know is hugely important. I think that's true of a lot of people. We just get on with doing what we're doing mm. and we don't realise what we know until we have to explain to someone about it and then you realise just how much you've learnt over, over the years of doing what you're doing. That's it. And interestingly as well, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of Freud's and I've, I've known 
lots of you on um, sort of um, saying hello levels. And then we've collaborated together, uh, you know, the Victorian Albert Museum for um, the uh, when we all cooked together and I cooked with the ladies from the Hub Community Kitchen. You know, on so many levels, we've become friends over the years. But actually, you know, I for a long time, I was thinking about this. I've been cooking now for 10 years and it's only recently that I have felt uh, in myself confident to go, yes, I, I'm a chef. And for a long time, it was because what what I knew as a chef growing up was not me. It was it was a man uh, who, you know, the caricature that I remember as a child following was a, a shouty man that swore um, and had gone through, you know, been peeling potatoes for 20 hours that day and had to drive through the ranks to get there. And, you know, this, 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 like this role, this job that I have didn't exist in my head. And so for a long time, maybe that's part of why I didn't feel comfortable saying I am a chef because it didn't feel like what I thought a chef was, but it's so interesting. And, and I love, I love that your, your chats are about storytelling because probably lots of us, I mean, you've had some incredible names and I'm honored to be here, but lots of us think, gosh, is my story important enough to be in a whole episode for you? it certainly is and i'm enjoying it already i think i think that whole thing you that you you talked about there is really about representation and people's perceptions of what they can and can't do if we sort of reflect on that for the time being it's ridiculous isn't it when you think oh i can't be that thing because this is what it looks like when it why couldn't it be you i mean did the penny drop at some point you thought well why why on earth shouldn't it be me doing this or anybody else for that matter Yes. I think, though, it's sometimes easier for, for you to, to put that on someone else. Oh, I can see that that person is. It's harder when you know all your ins and outs and your weak, weak spots to, to identify that in yourself. I certainly think the retreat that I went on, you know, stripped away so much uh, that didn't need to be part of my life and focused me. So I think that that, that I went on last year, that really the, um, the really... Uh, you know, the, the, I went on that after five, sort of five year anniversary after my father died. And I had been looking for, I remember saying to someone, because a big part of the last four years, I would say, of my food career have been very much focused on community work. And with that comes mental health. I'm a mental health mates ambassador, which is something that the journalist Bryony Gordon founded. And food, mental health, stress, it's also interlinked. I mean, everything is interlinked. We know that now. And everybody is very um, much more open to having conversations about mental health. And that's probably why if you had asked me uh, to, to talk two years ago, you know, I might have said, well, I better just talk about food, you know, and my food columns and all the foodie stuff. And, and that's what's important. And that's what people want to hear. But I think it's cool, um, not cool as in trendy, but it's, it's, I feel not anxious to talk about it. And I feel um, actually maybe in a way proud to say I owe so much of where I am to the fact that I have had anxiety and depression and, you know, as many people do, long held grief after a significant traumatic event. Like a, uh, my father was very, very sick and, you know, he died in our arms. That then gave me the impetus to seek help. And then that actually has made me take a course in what I do. Now I know that I need to look after my mental health better, which in turn makes me structure my working day, my year, what I say no to, what I say yes to, which I find very difficult to say no to things when people need help. And then it also, um, I think, gives me more patience and more, um, more, um, 
I would say uh, encourages me to be more open-minded and open-hearted if I don't understand something, like take the time to get to know something or someone um, and ask questions. You know, when you if anyone's been to therapy or done any kind of therapy work, you know about, like uh, mine was group therapy and that was hardcore. It is awkward and uncomfortable and you feel shame and you feel you don't know where to look. And all of that is stripped back from you. So it's a really powerful thing that I could not recommend more to any for anyone to do, whether you have suffered from grief, but there's so many types of grief, especially now, grief, loss of a loved one, loss of a job, loss of identity, moving house, um, emptiness syndrome, it can sometimes be for parents. You know, we're all here going through life and doing our work and in the background, actual emotions are there that we have been suppressing. So I, the, back to your question, sorry about the penny dropping. Um, I think in many ways, because I wasn't trained, I had a chip on my shoulder and I had a, um, an uncomfortableness about naming myself as a chef. However, also because I wasn't trained, I didn't have anyone that um, I owed it to. So no one no one gave me a sort of break or mentored me at the beginning. Loads of people did since, but I didn't feel like I owed someone to do it the right way, as it were. I also um, then, maybe that also gave me a freedom because the way that we worked, my sister and I, when we founded Hemsley and Hemsley, we couldn't see a model to follow. So we just did it our own way. So in many ways, there was a freedom. In other ways, we let ourselves get stuck in, oh gosh, are we doing it right? And then I think I just realized probably one day, cooking is very simple. Food actually is simple. Like, you know, there's there's so many sort of, you know, there's a, an advert, I think, um, it was like a World War II American war um, poster and it was like buy it with thought cook it with care don't make too much save what can be kept you know it is that some and share it and I'd add on to it share it share food and you know in this world that we live in now I really think one tiny silver lining of all of this when there's so much tragedy and so much uncertainty and so much fear is that actually we have stepped up and helped our neighbors and helped our communities and I hope that will continue and I think a greater respect for our farmers has been something that has been coming through, I feel, anyway. What do you think? I think you're right. I, th- I think that whole thing about um, an appreciation of community at the time of recording, which for people listening perhaps later on, is still during lockdown in the UK because of the pandemic. But yes, I think you're right. I think people will appreciate it a bit more and realise fundamentally just what is more important, what they really need versus what they want. And if I can segue nicely back to kind of what you do, um, you do so much related to food, but it's around things like eat green. It's obviously, you know, looking at what you're putting in your body, what your diet is, how that affects you, how to buy in bulk and buy in a smart way. And and you have the sustainability sessions, which are all about, you know, lessening our impact and our footprint and making sure that we're not causing harm and damage in, in what we eat and everything else. So I suppose the question I'm building up to is it, it started at a point where this felt like a natural thing to do with your sister, Jasmine, as you, as you mentioned there. But what you have done seems to have blossomed in all sorts of directions that are all really important and still related to how we eat and what we eat. Yeah, that, exactly that. It, it, all, it all keeps coming back. Like I mentioned, the, you know, what we eat what we choose to eat, how we spend our money, how we vote with our spending power, how we vote with our feet, um, how that affects 
you know, the, 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 the climate crisis, how that affects our farmers. Um, why don't we? You mentioned the appreciation for our food. You know, what happened to our respect for farmers in the UK, say, versus the respect that farmers have in France? Um, when did we lose touch of eating the seasons, if we ever did? I mean, if I think back, I don't think I grew up understanding seasons. And when one of the jobs I had um, in my early 20s, you know, having left school and started working. I worked for a, um, a, a shoe company, which later became Vivo Barefoot Shoe Company. There was about six of us at the time, then our global, amazing uh, footwear brand. And then through them, I started, um, uh, I met a lot of ethical fashion designers when at a point where the fashion industry, it was not taken seriously. You know, I'm talking about 15 years ago and from that a lot of the people are now have become the founders of fashion revolution um and then food you know that jasmine and i fell into cooking for bands and actors with no qualifications and always you know the bottom line was we're going to make food that makes you feel good you know it's food that's going to nourish you so if you're going on tour if you're going out to tread the boards at the theater at 8 p.m when you need your snack before and after it was all of that and the more I got to know food, you know, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm not a climate expert. Um, the more I got to know food, the more I was realizing the impact it had on everything I mentioned before, climate, seasonality, farmers, shopping, it's political, it's uh, the waste factor of it all. Um, the, you know, I'm reading, a, I'm about to interview someone uh, called Kim, Kimberly Wilson, and she's, her book's called How to Build a Healthy Brain. And I'm studying that so avidly now, and I'm taking pictures of every page and sending it to my mother, you know, who's 72 and is in lockdown. And I'm, you know, isn't it funny, though, that for those of us who've still got parents around, um, I've really realized, sorry to just sort of jump off topic, but I'm not a parent yet, but I, I found myself having to really take deep breaths when instructing my mother uh, how to look after herself with all the government advice on, you know, making sure she was okay. And the way that so many of us show our love is through food, whether it's treating people with cakes on their birthdays or saying, you know, when someone's grieving or, or, or they've had bad news, we take them food around. It all links. And that's why I find the food space so completely exciting. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to continue my learning and studying. And I remember saying to someone about a year and a half ago, gosh, like I, I do not know. I do not know where to start when it comes to the climate crisis you know i'm talking a year and a half ago right um and this was just before blue planet came out and suddenly the world woke up overnight to plastic bottles i'm sure all of us knew we all of us probably already had a reusable water bottle but it was when it was on not on everyone's fingertips and before the first hotel or restaurant chain said we're banning plastic straws and i remember saying i don't know where to start i don't know where to continue does anyone know if there's any talks happening anything to read um and they said people said to me why don't you start interviewing people yourself and learn that way and again probably we we didn't use the words imposter syndrome but i touched on it and you know i'm not there how can I possibly now start interviewing people? And they they said, well, that's the point. People, you know, interview them, ask ask the silly questions that people are afraid to ask. So I started what you you mentioned, the sustainability sessions. And I just went, okay, I'll do eight of them. I'll do them on a Monday night because on a personal level, I find Monday night is my worst night of the week when I feel unsure and I'm not in the week, you know, the working week spirit. And I just, the week feels long and no one ever does anything fun on a Monday night. And, uh, 
um, I hosted them and I had people for my first one. It was called The State of Your Plate. It was a Monday night in September. I had Sky Gingle, who has now uh, made her restaurant spring in Somerset House single-use plastic-free. Uh, Anita Rani, presenter of Country File and co-presenter of BBC One War on Plastics with Hugh Fernley Rittingstall, the food critic Grace Dent. And we sat there in a room full of people and uh, all the speakers were paid and we gave a third of the ticket price just charged £15. A third of the ticket price went to a charity that was related to the theme. So in this case, it went to the Felix Project, the food waste, anti-food waste um, charity that I know you know well and you support too. And um, we talked about what can we do? How can we better understand? How can we better support the food system? And, you know, you, you, I keep thinking about your question, when did the penny drop? I think every time I try something new that I'm scared to do and I do the first one, the penny always drops that little bit more. Oh, if, I, if I'm enjoying this, if I want to know, I'm sure someone else there wants to as well. So I try and remind myself that every time I feel that my old friend, the fear, the fear monger are saying to me, oh, you're not going to be good at that. At the end of the day, I'm just hoping by bringing other people in, using my platform, which I sort of hate that phrase. I can't believe I just used it. But, you know, using my platform to interview people and experts and all having conversations and being brave enough to ask silly questions. Someone, I once read something where someone said, we're running out of time to make mistakes. You know, we have no time left to make mistakes. So what better way to better manage making positive, positive steps than by actually sharing what we know? What's the point in... You know, if we all came together and said, don't try and use that um, packaging or that deliver or that so-called green delivery courier or, or, or that um, reusable whatnot, this is the one that works. And everyone could just down tools and focus on the one that works. We could all pool our money together and invest in things that we know are going to work as opposed to each of us trying our best to do it right, but getting it wrong inevitably. <laughs> I think there's something else that, that that people think we're running out of time for, we've run out of patience for, and it's probably cynicism and scepticism. I think what what comes through, Melissa, is just how, and it's an overused word, a bit like platform, but passionate you are about this. I, I think it, it, another overused word in our game is authenticity, but it is <laughs> obvious. It's obvious how authentic all this is because you 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 care about it. And as you care about it, it shows in what you do, whether it be like you say, the sustainability sessions or, or you know, online, the feel-good sessions, which you've been doing uh, more recently. Is that true? It's something you couldn't do it if it wasn't authentic. Yes, I couldn't do it. But I have also really realized, I mentioned being a recovering perfectionist, um, that there's no getting it perfect. Um, and also these standards of success. So, you know, I went from being a private chef to then, you know, through many twists and turns, becoming an author. I remember feeling, I, I, I don't want to be an author because I, I, what if I'm bad at it? What if I don't sell any books? And then I really checked myself one day and said, well, what, what, would, what would being successful feel like? And then I sort of put that idea away. And then I came back to it again, I think a few years later, uh, you know, I wasn't sitting there thinking about it. It just came up. Maybe someone asked me a question or, you know, you think about what would, what would make you, what would you make you feel that your mum would be proud of? Cause you know, my mum doesn't really love her. She loves me. We're not really a, I'm proud of you family. Um, but <laughs> I said to myself, what does success look like? Like, what am I worried about? I'll try to flip it on my head. What does success look like? And I said to myself, 
I quickly worked out when I gave myself time to think about it. It's not about how many books you sell. It is certainly not about how many social media numbers you have. I mean, these platforms, these social media platforms that exist now, they are very positive in many ways. Our overuse of them and dependency on them is very bad in many ways. They could all disappear to overnight, you know? The next thing might come. We need to not be dependent on them. So that doesn't matter. Okay, so book sales don't matter. That doesn't matter. You know, what will make me feel proud? What do I want to wake up to do? And I realize that that is just, for me, it's a bottled up feeling that that's how I feel. And when, and, and, I, and I have to get over the nerves and the fear. And that's something I work on every day. And the anxiety, my anxiety is something that I work on all the time. You know, even now, Matt, I feel nervous and anxious that I'm babbling, you know, that will I, will this be how you expected it to be? But these are just voices in my head. So I've just got to suppress them and get on with the bigger picture, which is I, I enjoy learning. I want to learn. I don't want to post Instagramable salads on my page. How can I use what I do for good? So, you know, I, I sell books. I'm not a big time author, so that doesn't bring in huge income. There's an um, expectation on social media to give content away for free, which I love because it means that because you're giving it away for free, you don't have to worry too much. Of course, I worry about that people will enjoy it, but I don't owe it to anyone. I only owe it to myself. So what I make sure I do is for every recipe I put up, I always include a story right at the beginning that I force people to read before they get the free recipe, you know, got to be give and take. And in it, I talk about the farmers. So guys, hi, did you know that, you know, Hodmodods, the British pulse pioneers are amazing. They're growing this forgotten grain or this old pulse that, you know, has been around for centuries, but we've forgotten about because we're all just eating the same bean. How about expanding your bean variety? Oh, did you know it's asparagus season or it's British um, tomato fortnight? You know how it is. There's always a different day. Um, And I talk about it and it gives me a chance to showcase suppliers that I love or you know I'm always like one of the one of the things I found most useful to do during lockdown and I'm still adding to it so you know depending on where we are when people listen to this send me ideas I've tried to to create an ongoing database of farmers who traditionally have delivered to restaurants or cafes or are on the high street or in a local street and cannot get their wares out and we've we've read about you know, the British cheese industry, for example, with just milk being poured away because there's no point turning it to cheese because there's no, they didn't, they lost their outlet to sell. And so all of us have then backed the British cheese um, industry. And just that connection is why I love social media. And that is when it's a force for good, especially at the moment, Black Lives Matter. That, that is one of the, in our generation, surely has got to be one of the most powerful ways that social media can be used for good. I want to talk more generally about the force for good and, of course, what we're seeing with Black Lives Matter and the response to uh, the killing of George Floyd is hugely important. And I think we both hope that there's some long-term meaningful change that's long overdue is going to happen. But I I also get the sense there's an appetite for that to happen in, in many other ways as well. And, and the term that is used quite a bit is how from this moment, from this lockdown period, which is affecting the whole planet uh, to a greater or lesser degree, how do we then build back better? And it seems pretty fundamental that what we eat and, and how we provide food is is really at the heart of a lot of that. It is. And I think no better place now as our sort of, um, what's the word, food 
as, as our individual, as our household food journeys have been disrupted. So let's say we're a family or a household, whether you live with your flatmates or you live alone, you had maybe three avenues. Maybe you had your weekly online shop or you had your weekly delivery box from a from a veg farmer or whatever. And then maybe you topped it up during the week on your way home from work, or maybe you work from home. So, you know, you're popping to your local shop was a highlight of getting out of the house as it's so difficult, as we all know, when we're living and breathing and sleeping in the same room. Now, with everything that's going on, it's shaken that all up. Uh, maybe the people that we really wanted to support didn't have a website that made it easy for us. Maybe they didn't have a way of getting it to our front door. Maybe it was just too much effort before. So it was much easier to support the supermarkets. Now it's shaken things up in a way that actually it's almost like we've got a chance to set new intentions. It's like New Year every day. It's like, right, what positive intentions for ourselves, our own health and the environment and the world that we want to live in? What kind of world do we want to live in? Can we start now? And that could be going, okay, I'm going to get my you know, credit card out. And today is the day that I'm going to set up and support that small supplier because we've got to change anyway. It's been forced upon us. So, you know, I've written down one of my, sorry, I'm really turning in, this into therapy talk, but you know, you can tell I've been to therapy and I couldn't recommend it more. And, and, and one of the things that a, a friend of mine uh, said to me, uh, was that she had been on a retreat. She worked, she, she's been, she actually was my first yoga teacher when I was 18. Uh, she's since become a friend. She said to me that she had gone on a retreat and they were asked to write themselves a letter a year from now. And she received that letter in one of the first two weeks of lockdown and she read it. So it had been written a week, a year before. And it made me, and I've done it, I've written a letter to myself to open like Christmas day in six months time. And I hope to reflect on, you know, will, will, what, what new normal have I created for myself? Like what intentions when I've been sat at home, fearful, worried about the world, worried about everybody I love, what will I take and move forward with? And I think that's so important. And food is where it starts. And, you know, I've talked a little bit about um, how important it is to vote for the food system that you want, which is, you know, keeping it local, keeping it seasonal when we're buying from abroad, looking for the fair trade, the ethical, the responsibly sourced option. And if you can't see those options, and this is where I think this feeling of action making and that we can make a difference has come from is ask, ask politely, demand politely, don't give up and keep asking. We all know how powerful petitions are. You know, we've got to keep writing to our MPs. You know, I think the first time I wrote to my MP was about four years ago. And now I don't stop. And it's just, it's just too simple. People write templates that you can follow. I feel like without, I feel like I'm getting a bit preachy, but without trying to be preachy, there's no excuse now. If you want a better system for yourself or someone else, there is, it is, you just have to keep getting on with it. Whether you use the social media, whether you ask for it at work, I'm very conscious that, you know, I work for myself, but I can ask brands that I work with. You know, I talked a little bit about, you know, I, I, I am an author, but you know, the way that I earn money is, is through, um, here's the word authentic, authentic brand partnerships with people I already love, or maybe speaking, um, 
speaking events. So I always make sure I ask. I always make sure I know who I'm working with and I ask them questions and I ask them to support and I ask them to make sure that when my bio's up that it includes the charities I work with. I just try and do as much as I can. And I'm very confidently saying I don't have it all right. And I look to people and the people that I really admire, um, you know, I like some, I'm thinking of some of the people that I really admire, you know, Guy Singh Watson, the Riverford Organics Food Farmer. He wrote the um, forward to my book, Hugh Ferling, Fernie Whittingstall, you know, the, the, the food campaign of the River Cottage co-founder. I love um, Doug McMaster, the founder of the first zero waste restaurant um, in the UK, which was in Brighton and now is down the road from me in Hackney Wick, which is very helpful. Um, Tom Hunt, you know, all of these brilliant people, the Felix Project, uh, Olio, the food sharing app, you know, all of this is just so powerful. And and I and sometimes I think to myself, like people say, God, you're always you're always banging on about um other people and and asking people to donate and petition. And I just think, well, what else is the point of social media? I mean, how many delicious bowls of food do you need to see? How many, you know, I'm not a person that tags my clothes as if I'm, you know, a shop window. I just I know that I feel um, more fulfilled and satisfied when I see meaningful content. We do that when we pick the papers, the books that we read, we buy them. I feel that social media has got to be the same thing. We're not paying for it, but it needs to be meaningful. And a meaningful point to end on. Thanks so much to Melissa for the interview. You can hear others on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud and find out what else Freud is up to on LinkedIn and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. (laughs) 